Excited to start a new series today as we start uh, Advent, as we spend time. And if you're wondering what Advent means, it just means this coming, this waiting, this expectation of, 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 our, of God's Son, Jesus. And so when we come to Christmas time, that's, that's what it's all about. Now, I know sometimes in our life, uh, it becomes about other things. Yes? I mean, sometimes that happens. Sometimes we, we find ourselves in those kinds of situations. And, uh, you know, the, one of the things I've been reflecting on a lot lately is how over the last, I don't know, it feels like two years, you know. I mean, I, I guess that's kind of the, the range. But over the last two years, I look back on the situation. I look back on where I am and I reflect where I currently am. And, and sometimes I look at it and it just feels kind of like a blur, does anybody else feel that way? It's like, it just feels like everything's kind of jumbled together and like, what happened last month? And, and you know, and like, how long ago was that? And, and I don't know about you, but I've felt that way. I've felt kind of like everything has been kind of a blur. And if you felt that way, I'm, I just am so glad you're here. Because I believe, the, I believe that God has a word for each one of us today. That, that God doesn't want us to really feel that way. He doesn't actually want us to experience life that way. And so what I want to do over the next few weeks as we press in to this idea of having the best Christmas ever. Who doesn't want to have a good Christmas? Come on. Come on. Because some of us, some of us have had some real downers uh, over the last few years. You know, I mean, some of us have maybe had great ones. But, but, you know, I mean, there's probably a lot more of us that had some really challenging Christmases. And I've found that that's true just because we're human beings and we interact with other human beings. And, and sometimes things happen, right? Sometimes these kinds of situations can occur. And so we're going to spend a little time digging in to this idea of how in the world do we have the best, come on, the best Christmas ever. Come on, that's what I need. I know that that's what you need. And so in order to get there, though, we have to spend a little time with Jesus. We have to spend a little time understanding what God has for us. Because the, the clearly, clearly, the Bible has something for us. Matter of fact, something better for us that sometimes we're not always living into. Yeah, isn't that true? This is true. And we read the Bible and we see what God offers and yet our life doesn't seem to always measure up. So we'll spend a few weeks talking about that. But I wanted to start here in a passage of scripture that you're probably like, this is weird. Why are we starting here? But I'll, I'll, I'll promise I'll make, I'll make sure that you understand where we're going. But I wanted to start here in Luke chapter 15. If you know the Bible, in Luke chapter 15, this is where you read the stories. There are stories that Jesus told. And one was about a sheep. And one was about a coin. And one was about what we call the, the prodigal son or the lost son. Yeah. And so this series of stories about lost things and the lost person, the lostness, uh, this series of stories was, was given to us in the Gospel of Luke. It was recorded by the, the Luke who wrote that, and, and he, he recorded it very specifically because there was a point that Jesus was making. And, and sometimes what happens is when we read the story, we actually lose the point. And so it's really important that we get this. And so I want to zero in here into verse 11 of chapter 15 of Luke. And so if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. It'll be on the screens. But, but, but I want to start here in verse 11. Watch this. To illustrate the point further. Get that. To illustrate the point further. In other words, Jesus told these stories 
about the sheep and the coin and the son. He did it in order to illustrate a point that he was making. Now, to understand the point that he was making, you have to understand the context at which he's telling the story. What I found is, is sometimes we lose the context and we come to a wrong interpretation of things that are happening in Luke chapter 15. So, he, so we have to understand that and I'll get to that. But so, 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 so the Bible says, Luke writes this, he says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. So Jesus is reiterating the story. He, he's reiterating a point. He says, a man had two sons. Yes. The, 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 the younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Hmm. That's curious. <laughs> In other words, what the younger son is saying is, I wish you would die. Can I have my inheritance now? Now, if my son said that to me, you guys know me. <laughs> I'd probably tell him to get out of my presence. And pick up a shovel. <laughs> Go do some work, kid. But, 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 but watch this. So the younger son says to the father, and the father responds. And I don't even, I can't even get my brain around this. The father says. So the father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. What? And so here's the picture. You have the younger son, one son, who leaves and takes his inheritance. You have another son who stays in the father's house. You get it? So there's a son that leaves and a son that stays. And so when, 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 it, when the Bible says to illustrate the point further, what is the point? What's the point that Jesus is trying to get at? What exactly is he saying? Well, we have, to, we have to dig just a little deeper to find it. Matter of fact, there's a great book called The Prodigal God that was written by Timothy Keller. And I don't know if you've ever read that, but it's a, it's a fabulous book on this particular passage of Scripture. But one of the things that, 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 that Timothy Keller teases out of this story is an idea that actually frames what we're trying to get at, what Jesus was trying to get at. And it's, it's simply this is we can do all the things right and still be lost. Think about that. Now, we know that the younger son didn't do things right. And he made a mess of his life. And, and we know, and we would absolutely say, that that younger son was lost because of the choices that he made. But the thing that's interesting about the story is we don't always circle back around and figure out that the younger or the older brother was equally lost, even though he was in the father's house. And if you put it in the context of what's being said, Jesus is speaking these parables of the sheep and the coin and the lost son. He, he, he's speaking these parables to who? To the Pharisees. The context of these stories is Jesus speaking to the religious leaders of the day and saying, look, 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 you've got to see this. Now, why would he do that? Guess who was doing everything right? The religious leaders. They were making sure they were doing it right. They were keeping all the commandments. They were making sure that they gave 10% of the cumin to God. 
You know, whatever spice it was, 10% goes to God. They were watching everything like a hawk. They were doing everything right. The older brother was doing everything right. And yet Jesus is clearly trying to help us to see that he was lost, though. And I'll show you. It wasn't just that the younger brother who had made a mess of everything was lost. It was actually that the older brother was lost, too. That both the older brother and the younger brother were equally lost. And one of them got lost by doing it right, and one of them got lost by doing it wrong. Isn't that interesting? Listen to this. We, 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 we fast forward into the story, into Luke 15, 25. And so we've, we jump over the lost son or the, the younger brother because we've spent a lot of time talking about him over the years. We don't spend as much time talking about the older brother. As a matter of fact, I would suggest that the older brother is there for most Christians. The older brother is there for most believers. The older brother is there for the people that think they're righteous by what they do. Get this. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 25, watch this. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field working. Why would he be in the field working? Because he was a dutiful son. He did what he was supposed to do. And so he was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He's like, that's curious. What is that? I just came back from working. What are these people doing? You ever come back home and people were partying and you're like, wait a second, I've been working all day and now you guys are having fun. This is ridiculous. So he, he, he sees the dancing or he, he sees the dancing, he hears the singing and he asks one of the servants, he says, what in the world's going on? He says, your brother's back and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. Now, I know you guys would be like, yay. But that's not what the older brother does. Look at this in verse 28. And I want you to see this. The older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. Let that sit for you a second. He was angry because of what his father had done. And he chooses not to go in to the party. There's so much there in our lives. How often do we choose not to go in? Do we choose not to go into the presence of God and to everything that he has for us because of something happening outside of us, something happening in a relationship? And so it says, the Bible says that the older brother was angry and he didn't go in. Yes, and then watch this. His father came out and begged him. Let me tell you what men of the ancient Near East did not do to their sons. They did not beg. And so, so this father, Jesus is telling this story, this father is begging him. And this is what he says to him. All these years, and this is the older brother speaking. He said, all these years, I've slaved for you. Do you start noticing a, a trend here? He was out working, doing all the right things. And he said, over the years, I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. I've always done it right. 
And all this time, you never gave me even a young goat. I didn't even get a goat to have a feast with my friends. <laughs> it's just petty, isn't it? Verse 30. Yet when his, yet when this son of yours, do you notice what he said there? This son of yours. Have you ever done that as a parent? <laughs> I've done it. Sweetie, your daughter has done so-and-so. It's almost like you avoid claiming them. So, so, so the, uh, the older brother says, this son of yours, father, has come back after squandering all of this money on prostitutes and you, you celebrate him by killing the fatted calf. Verse 31, his father said to him, Look, dear son, I love that. He doesn't say, you in ungrateful. <laughs> he calls him dear son. Because again, what you have to see is that God is in this story. The father is God in the story. And I love that when, when we're throwing temper tantrums, when we're saying back to God, do you not know what I've done for you? Huh? Anybody ever done that one? I've followed you, I've been faithful, and yet I'm here. Or maybe we've been more of the son that said, I wish you would die and left. And maybe you're back here today and it's the first time you've even been in the house of the Lord in a long time. And here's the point. Is that all of us can be lost. All of us can be lost. But, but, but God wants us to be found. That's why he did what he did at Christmas. And so look, look. He says, dear son, you have always stayed with me. And everything I have is yours. Everybody say that. Everything I have is yours. So the older brother lives in the house of God, house of the father, and everything is his. So if that's true, then that means he probably could have just went to the father and said, hey, dad, can I get a goat? I sure would like to have a party with my friends. And then he would have said, sure, son, thank you for being so faithful and working so hard. Here's your goat. It's not what happened. Son, what he did. And yet the Bible says that everything I have is yours. The father tells the son that. And then watch this. We had to celebrate this happy day. And why did we have to celebrate this happy day? For your brother was dead and now he's come back to life. He was lost and now he's found. And because I'm the father of the house, I'm for both of you. I'm for the one that was lost and I'm for the one that is in the house and actually equally lost but doesn't know it. I'm for you, and I love you, dear son, dear daughter. You starting to get the point? Is that we can be lost and do all the right things, and we can be lost because we did all the wrong things. Now, what in the world does that have to do with having the best Christmas ever? Well, let me show you. See, the older brother had proximity, but he didn't have presence. Let me show you. Say it again. The older brother had proximity, but he didn't have presence. In other words, he was living in the house. He was close. He was in proximity to the father, okay? 
but he chose not to go in. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're living in the house with the father and just down the hall is his presence. And all you have to do is walk out of your miserable little room. All you have to do is put your anger aside for a moment and walk down the hall and open the door because you're a son of the most high. You could walk right in. You don't need an appointment. You don't have to call in the phone, call ahead. Dad, I'm on my way. No, no. You just show up because you're a son. And here's the point. You're a daughter. Here's the point is that you literally can be in proximity to God and still miss his presence. Still choose to not have his presence. Some of us are in proximity. Uh Uh-oh. All of us are in proximity to God right now. He's here. Whether you know it or not, he's right there. Where? Right there. Right next to you. And all he says to you is you're close, but you got to reach for it. you got to choose to come into my presence. In the middle of that situation you're in right now, you have to choose to come into my presence. In the pain you're in, you got to choose. In your anger down the hall, you got to choose. Will you come into my presence? Will you walk down the hall and come into my presence? And the moment you do, come on, hear me. The moment you do is everything that the Bible is talking about, the peace and the joy that you want, it's right there. Where? It's in his presence. And so the moment we understand this important truth, what happens is we reject the idea that we are going to be the older brother. We reject the idea that we're going to be the younger brother. And we're just going to decide to be sons and daughters of the most high God recognizing that in his presence is everything we need. And yet, the older brother chose to be lost. And what I've found is at Christmas time, sometimes we actually choose to be lost. We choose to not enter into his presence. And how is it that we would do that? Why would we do that? Why would we do that? Why would we do that this most sacred time of year? Why would we do that? And the thing I figured out is the reason we do it. Let me share a quote with you that I think captures it really well. This is from uh, John Eldridge. And he wrote in his book, if you haven't read this, I, I highly recommend you read this book. But the book is called Get Your Life Back. And I love the subtitle. It's Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. So, so good. But this is what he says. Listen to this. Honestly, I think most people live their daily life along a spectrum from slightly rattled to completely fried. You get it? So we're all living on a spectrum. And he says that the spectrum we're living on is slightly rattled to completely fried. Do you notice that on the spectrum is not peace? On the spectrum is not joy. It's not even entered into the equation because the spectrum we're on is slightly rattled or all the way on the other side, completely fried. So this is what I suggest to us today is that one of the reasons that we don't enter into his presence, even though we have proximity, is because of our pace. And the pace of our lives is actually what interrupts the presence of God in our lives. Our pace is keeping us from the presence of God. Now, I know when I say that, there are some of you that say, 
Well, yeah. But what in the world am I going to do about that, pastor? Almost like we're passive in it. Like we just kind of, we're just kind of wandering through life and being pushed over here. Like we're in a pinball game, you know? Anybody remember what those were? Some of you younger people? Just the balls just being poing and poing and poing. Just back and forth. And that's how we live our life. Being told what to do with the things of this world. And, and, and I just want to say to you, You'll never fully enter into what I'm talking about until you figure out that's not what God's plan is for your life. And not just is it not his plan, but you have to participate. So what in the world are you going to do? What are we going to do in order to have the best Christmas ever? Because everybody wants to have the best Christmas ever. So do I, YouTube, everybody. But in order to do that, there's some things that we have to do. There's some things that we have to commit ourselves to. And here's the big idea is that we have to intentionally break. We have to intentionally break in order to have the best Christmas ever. We have to break. Now, what does that mean? Well, you know what a break is. If you drive, you know, you push your brake. You just brake. And when you push your brake, what happens? You begin to stop. You, you, you begin to slow down. Now, if you push it really hard, what happens? <laughs> push it kind of slightly and slowly down. Right? Now, if you're in the snow, what do you do? You pump your brakes. Right? Like if, you, if you're on ice, you, you don't slam on them because if you slam on them, you're like, Woo, which is counterintuitive. You're like, because you're, you're about to go into a wall and your part is like, ah, you don't, you don't, you know. And so it really freaks you out if you've ever been in a situation where you're like supposed to pump the brakes. But yet if I, if I don't put the brakes on, we're all going to die. Right. So you get it. And so here's the point I'm trying to say. Some of us need to, this Christmas, start to break. We need to pump the brakes. We need to start to recognize that our life is in a spin. That our life is out of control. That we are actually losing it. (laughs) Even though we attend church. See, see, see what I'm getting at? And in order for us to experience the best Christmas ever, we've got to start breaking. We've got to start breaking properly because God wants to help us. And so here's the first idea I want to share with you. It's important. You've got to start breaking for reflection and learn to linger. You have to start breaking for reflection and learn to linger. See, some of us are like, no, I'm not good with that. I don't like it. I prefer to be going at a particular pace. Yes, some of you. Yeah, I'm that way. I like to move at a certain pace. I enjoy the pace. I like to be moving fast, feeling like I'm doing something good. And you know what I mean? Like, it just is true. I love it. And what happens is you move at this pace. And then what happens is you end up losing your joy and your peace because you're moving at that pace. And if you've ever been on that pace, like me, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Now, some of you are a little better than me. You maybe slowed down a long time ago and, and uh, you're able to kind of stay in that moment. But, but here's an idea. Have you ever noticed on streets, not all of the streets are straight? It's true. Like you go out, you're driving on a street. Some of the streets are straight. But then you look out and you notice, well, that one's curving. So there's a curve coming up. And, right, and they have a little sign, right? Remember? And the little sign says curve. And the curve, well, it doesn't say curve, but you know what I'm talking about. There's a sign that says curve coming. And what does it say on the sign? There's usually a little speed limit. 
right? And so the curves come in and it says, oh, hey, you need to slow down to about 15 or 20 miles an hour as you go around this curve. And what do all of you do? You don't slow down. You're like, thank you for the suggestion. Thank you for the suggestion. I know what I'm doing. And so you take the curve. And what's really sick is as you go around the curve, you prove to the sign that you know what you're doing because you took the curve and nothing happened bad. Right? So, true story. Uh, I live out in High Ridge and there's a back way to my house. I think it's called Hillsboro Road. Hillsboro Valley Road. If you've ever been on this road, uh, if you're out of the context, you can Google it. But this road is very windy. Okay, it's ups and downs and winds around, you know. But as you get on the road, there's a point in the road where there's a suggestion. And the suggestion is that if you're going to drive on this road, you need to be traveling at about 15 miles an hour. Have you ever driven 15 miles an hour? It's awful. There are human beings that can run faster than 15 miles an hour. This particular day, I was driving on this road, and the person in front of me was being a very dutiful citizen, and they were driving 15 miles an hour on that road. And I was behind them. Now, I didn't particularly enjoy being behind them, because they were following the directions, and I knew that you didn't have to do that to survive. I had already proven it to myself. And so I'm driving on the road, and I'm, 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 I'm behind this person, and there's just part of me is like, why are you doing this to me? I mean, did you wake up today to somehow ruin my life? Like, is that your goal? That literally, they woke up, and they're like, you know, today I'm going to follow all the directions. I'm going to follow all the rules and I'm going to do exactly what the rules say. And they were doing 15 and I'm doing 15 and I'm going crazy. And it's even worse. Behind me is everybody else. And they're mad at me. And I'm like, it's not even me. It's that person. And there's this line backed up on Hillsboro Valley Road. And I'm so frustrated. You ever been there? And my point is that sometimes what happens is, is God puts a curve in our life. God puts a slowdown in our life. God puts a sign up, a suggestion. And we can choose to either take it fast or take it slow. But what I've found being a pastor for many years is a lot of times we just take it fast and we just keep on going. And God put that curve there for a reason. And whether that curve's there for, because God did it, or whether that curve is there because the enemy was busy, or I don't know why the curve showed up. The Bible says that the devil will dig ditches in front of us. That happens. And so there's going to be curves. The question is, is when they show up, what do you do with them? What in the world do you do? Well, my friends, you should do exactly what the Bible tells you to do, and that is slow down and be with him. Get in his presence because you're going to need it. You may make it through that first curve, but the next one coming is going to get you. Because we get bolder, don't we? We, we got around, oh, I got around it. 
Then the next one comes, you're like, I'll take that one too. But I tell you, when you get going, there's, there's a place on that road that I was just talking about that you think you've got it. And it turns quick in certain places. And I've, I've actually went off the road because of it. And it's such a good example of how we take one curve and we think we're fine. And it builds our strength. And like, I can move at this pace. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. And then a curve shows up and you end up in the ditch. And then you're mad at God. And God's like, wait a second. Hold the phone. You were in proximity to me. You just didn't come in. And so you're willing to come in. See, that's what I want for us. That's how we have the best Christmas ever. Is we actually learn to slow down and reflect and linger and be with God. I love this story in Exodus. Uh, Perhaps you know the guy named Moses. You know? Well, Moses had somebody that helped him named Joshua. And in such a great place. Listen to this. In, in Exodus 33, 11, inside the tent of meetings, which was the place that, that Moses would meet with God, the Lord would speak to Moses. Listen to this. Face to face as one speaks to a friend. Isn't that cool? I, I love that image. Then watch this. Afterwards, Moses would return to the camp, but... The young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meetings. In other words, he would linger. He would stay in the presence of God. He would be there. So Moses would go back to the camp after meeting with God, and and he would stay there because he knew he needed more of the presence of God. And my friends, I think he knew because he knew where God was taking him. At some point, he would be the guy. Like it was Moses, then Joshua. And it wasn't just Joshua. It was Joshua leading the people into the battle. And I think he knew he needed to linger. I think he knew the battle was coming. I think he understood that a curve was going to show up. And at the end of the day, he stayed in the presence of the Lord because when he stayed in the presence of the Lord, he had everything that he needed right there. And he was able to learn from God. He was able to be in his presence. And so Joshua stayed behind to linger because he knew he needed it. And I just asked you this question at Christmas. Do you need it? (laughs) Do you? Oh, I know you do. But are you willing to reflect and linger? Are you willing to break? There's this great story, similar kind of story in the New Testament. And you've probably heard it, but, but this is in Luke chapter 10. Her sister Mary, come on, sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Now you're like, oh, that's cute. I said, isn't that a beautiful picture? Mary just sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I suspect everybody's looking at her do it. And they're just like in awe of her behavior. Well, her sister was not. In verse 41, but the Lord said to her. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 41, we see the contrast of, of, of Martha in the story. So you have Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. You have Martha doing all the things that you're supposed to be doing. Right? When a guest comes over, you're doing this and this and this and that and making sure that. And here's the thing. It wasn't bad things. It wasn't bad that she was caring for people. It wasn't bad that she was being hospitable. It wasn't bad that she was cooking turducken. <laughs> they probably didn't have turduckens back then, guys. But then watch this. So this is the contrast. And then Jesus says this. But the Lord said to her, dear Martha. Oh, dear Martha. I like that he doesn't say, hey, woman. Right? It makes me think about the father saying, dear son. And so Jesus says to Martha, who clearly is out of bounds. He says, dear Martha, (laughs) you are worried and upset about all these details. Let me ask you a question. 
Are you upset about all the details? Like at Christmas time, do you get upset about all the details? Do you find yourself getting freaked out, twisted, contorted, anxious, worried, anger? You know, I mean, does any of that, do you find that peace and joy start to leave your body at Christmas time? Not because the presence of the Lord isn't there, but because of your own expectations. But because of what you have deemed important. And yet, at no point did you say, God, what is important? I mean, the, the culture has told me what's important. I need to make sure I go to Black Friday and punch someone. Right? I need to make sure that I do X, Y, and Z. If I don't get a present for everybody, if I don't do this, if we don't do that, if we don't do this, what happens? What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to them? The whole thing is going to be ruined. And yet Jesus says, you're upset and worried about all these details. And then watch this. He says, there is only one thing worth being concerned about, is what Jesus says. Only one thing. And he says this. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. What is it that she discovered? (laughs) She discovered freedom. She discovered his presence. She discovered the point of Christmas. See what I'm getting at? That she discovered the right thing, and Jesus affirms Mary and says, Martha, you're out of sorts. And she's out of sorts not because she did a bunch of bad stuff, She's out of sorts because she was doing all the stuff. Just like the older brother was doing all the right things. Out of sorts. Because they've forgotten the point. That the proximity is to lead us to his presence. It's not to lead us to the things that we want to do. And the thing I found is that we get so consumed with all the details in our life. And all the planning and all the stuff. That we actually miss the point. So here's a question I have for you. Do you have any plans this Christmas? Yeah, no, of course, we all have plans. I just ask you, are those plans going to help you be in the presence of God? Or are they not? Matter of fact, did you even bother to ask Jesus if they were good plans? Did you even say, Jesus, here's my plans, I submit them to you. Because isn't it true that we always think our plans are God's plans? And we never at any point submit them to him? We're just kind of like, okay, God, I've got this whole list. Here's my list. One, two, three, four. Can you just ordain that? Because if you do that, then we'll all be good. Come on. Sometimes our expectations that we create are actually what create the problem. See, unmet expectations lead to what? Hurt. And we create our own hurt because we create expectations that that God never intended to fulfill. Matter of fact, we apply expectations to people sometimes that they didn't even agree to. And then we get mad about it. You realize that's messed up. We have these expectations and, and then we wonder when everything goes bad, why it went bad. I think it went bad because we had expectations that weren't necessarily from the Lord. I I would encourage you to think about your expectations and and ask the Lord, Lord, are these godly? Are these honoring of you at Christmas time? You know, am I doing the right things? Some of us have overcommitted 
And we make these commitments and our overcommitment leads to us being frustrated. So we're like, I got to do this. And, and you're a dutiful person. And so you're going to do it. You said you're going to do it. It's my word. It's my oak. It's my strong arm. I mean, come on, I'm in. I committed. I'd be there. And then what happens is you commit to everything. And then all of a sudden, the peace and the joy start to leave your body. And the question becomes is, did God tell you to do all that? Did God tell you to commit to all those things? And if he didn't, then maybe you should just at least put it on the altar and say, God, what do you think? What should I do here? You know what I mean? And sometimes what happens is we're loving people. Like we're so committed to loving people. And we do this and we love them and we love them and we love them. And then when we get done loving all the people, we hate everybody. And we loved everybody, but we hate them. And now we hate ourselves and the whole thing's a mess because the family's mad at us because we came home and we yelled at them because we have no peace, no joy, no presence. And it's Christmas and everybody is in misery. You see what I'm getting at? See, Jesus didn't do that to us. See, that's what we do. And Jesus just comes back to us and says, hey, it's not complicated, kids. It's about my presence. It's about me. It's, a, it's, it's my birthday, not yours. Why is it that everybody else gets all the presents? And it's my birthday. Hmm. Martha wasn't bad. But here's the thing. She was just missing what was right in front of her. And that's the thing that we do. It's not that we're bad. It's that we're just missing the fact that Jesus is right there. And he says, look, come on in. And you can do that at any place, any point in your Advent experience. You can choose to come on in. Because what happens, it's the doing that gets in the way of us being with him. It's our doing that gets in the way of us being with him. And I just want to say to you, this Christmas, you want to have the best Christmas ever? Be with him. Create space to be with him. Create space to listen. Create space to reflect. Create space to linger like Joshua did. And, and I promise you, you will have the best Christmas ever. And you're saying to yourself, no, you don't know my family. But here's the thing. When I'm centered in him, that stuff doesn't knock me off my center. And here's the other thing I'd say is what if, we're all friends here, right? What if you decided not to do X? What's X for you? What's, what is it? What is it that you were going to do that's creating so much worry, fear, anxiety, frustration? What is it? What if you just decided, I'm not doing it? <gasps> now, I say that and you see someone's face. You see mom, you see dad, you see some family member, you see a friend, and, and, and you see the face, and it's, it's, a, it's a face of disappointment. And you're like, I just can't do it. And so I'm going to go to Christmas out of guilt. Friends, God never intended you to live that way. And I know that's hard to hear, because you're like, well, pastor, I have to do that. That's exactly what I have to do. The Bible says so. Does it? Does it? 
Matter of fact, last time I checked, the Bible says I should deny my mother and father and follow him. If you want the presence of the Lord, you've got to run hard after it. And there will be people that will distract you from it. Sometimes it's even mommy and daddy. Sometimes it's the expectations of your family. And let me, and you think, Pastor, you're just talking trash now because, you know, that's just too hard. You've probably never done anything like that. Friends, I have. My family made a decision years ago that at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we didn't travel. We're just not going to do it. Now you're like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? I'm a preacher. Do you know what happens at Christmas time? A lot. And then at Christmas Eve, we get done with Christmas Eve services and somehow I'm going to drive eight hours to see my family. I would lose it. Wouldn't you? Come out of that tired. And so my point is, is, is a way of keeping my peace. We made a decision. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there were people on the other side of that decision that were angry about that? You think there were people disappointed with me? Do you think it's led to kinds of divisions in certain places in my family? Some people don't even talk to me anymore. And you'd say, oh, is that okay? It is when one thing matters. Because this world, I don't care who it is, it will work to steal everything that God wants to give you. And I just say to you, if you don't have peace, you don't have joy, then you move into his presence and don't let anything knock you off of his presence. I don't care who they are. And you stay in there. And that's the thing that we've got to see. And when you begin to do that and you begin to, ref when you say no, it's too much. And then you replace it with more reflecting, more enjoying, more lingering with God. I'm telling you, friends, you're going to be full. Even if people are mad at you, you're still going to be full. That's the thing about Jesus is his presence and his joy doesn't leave when people are mad at you. Matter of fact, it stays. And so friends, we have to get off that train. And I love the way that, I love the way that uh, John Eldred said it this way. It was so good. He said, the rooted person is able to meditate. Listen to that. The rooted person is able to meditate. The person that's centered in Jesus is able to meditate. The person that is focused on the presence is able to meditate. He gives a definition, gives sustained attention to the revelation of God. In other words, you can hear God when you're able to maintain that meditation. And then he has this kind of interesting way of saying it. He says, not to swipe, not to multitask, but to linger, to linger focused on Jesus. Come on. Do you see what I'm getting at? That, that, that you can get to a place where you're rooted. The Bible says you should be rooted. And what happens when you're rooted? You're not knocked back and forth. How often does the Bible say that God doesn't want that for you? God doesn't want you to be tossed back and forth by the things of this world. God wants you to be rooted. And when you're rooted, that wind, that storm, that tempest, that person is not going to knock you off. You're going to be rooted. So at Christmas time, you want the best Christmas ever? Then you get rooted again. And don't let anybody take it from you. You spend your days over the next few weeks just loving him again. Love him again. Spend time with him. Slow down and enjoy his presence. And then finally, my last thought is this. Don't forget to keep Jesus 
in focus? Let me show you a picture. Look at this. Now that, I, I have no idea what's actually back there. I think there's some light. Like I think, you know what I mean? Like I think if we zoomed in, there's probably some light back there. I kind of, I kind of picture like over to the left there, maybe there's a little Christmas tree. I sound like Bob Ross, don't I? There's a little tree, a little happy tree. Maybe you go a little bit further. and Maybe there's a mom and a dad sitting back there. I don't know. I mean, let your imagine run wild. I, don't, I have no idea what's there. And the reason I don't is because it's out of focus. God never intended you to live in the abstract. He intended you to live with clarity. To see exactly what he wants you to see. And what happens when we remember that it's about slowing down and being with him and we start to focus on the one that can bring clarity into our life, what happens is the peace, the joy, it all returns. Everything that's been stolen starts to return again. I don't know about you, but that sounds really good to me. I need that in my life. I need that. You need that. In order to have the best Christmas, we need that. You know, Hebrews 12, too, says it this way. You know, have you ever heard this? Fix your eyes on Jesus. You ever heard that? I like the way the new King James says it. He says, looking unto Jesus. That I need to spend my time this Christmas looking unto Jesus. And allow him to bring focus back into my life. Allow him to bring 2020 vision back into my life so that I can see exactly what he wants me to see, so that I can begin to reflect and linger in his presence. And I would never be in the house of the Lord in proximity, but not in his presence. Friends, we've got to watch our pace in order for that not to happen. And we've got to enter in to his presence. And that's what he wants for us. That's what I want for you this Christmas. That's how we're going to have the best Christmas ever. Come on. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your presence among us. The truth is you're always here. We just don't always recognize it. You know, like Martha, so often it's right in front of us, but we don't see it. But Lord, we're here for a reason. Not because we need more of the world, but because we we need more of you. And that's why we're here. Each one of you are here for that reason. You need more of God and you know it. Each one of you online are here because you know you need more of him. And so rather than talk about it, rather than say this is what you need, I've built in a little time in our worship time to just linger, to just be in his presence. So what I want you to do, stop thinking about all the things you need to do. Just for a moment, would you be willing to open yourself up to just a moment of lingering, just to be in his presence, to hear his voice again, to, to, to slow down, to watch your pace, Because his presence is here. We just have to choose to enter into it. So my heart for you right now is that you would remove every distraction, every care that you have, and that you would just be 
in his presence again. And allow him to fill you with his power. Allow him to fill you. Because the truth is, nothing else matters. All the things we try to create, it just doesn't matter. Because really, only one thing matters. And it's him. Yeah.